get right into the word, eh? All right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching today. Yeah, well, I got three people who are excited in the front row. That's the majority. Woo! Thank you. Man, worship was extraordinary, Will. Just blessed by the gift of God inside of you and how you lead our church so well and how you lead these musicians so well. Um, usually there's a full band up here, but we wanted the team to kind of be involved with uh, the cookout today, so we decided to scale down the worship. Um, that's why you have a cajon uh, instead of a drum set, but it, nevertheless, it was powerful, powerful. My heart was touched. Well, let's get right into it because we want to party together today, um, but we do want to take some time and talk about Jesus, eh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the times that we get to share together, Lord, and be together around the word of God. Father, I pray, Lord, that the words spoken here this morning would be fruitful. They would produce fruit in the hearts and the lives of those who have gathered this morning to church. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would rest upon my tongue to not just speak words that I've prepared, but words that suddenly come into play and come into focus that touch the heart and move us to adore you. We pray these things would happen in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask a question here this morning, and this may be a question a bit awkward coming from a pastor, but I'm known to be awkward, so if you hang around us for any length of time after today, you will find that out. Um, Michelle was like, she was the one girl in the front that said, yep, he is, because she's hung around a lot, and she saw my awkwardness at its peak. Um, but I do ask this question often as a pastor, and the question I ask myself, even as recently as last week, what is the point of church. What, what, what is the point? I mean, right, I mean, I'm a pastor, right? I should be somewhat settled on the issue, you know? But I, I mean, there are things just like you that kind of rock the boat a little bit, rock my understanding of, of why it is I value church, why it is I choose community Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And so I ask this question a lot. I ask this question somewhat daily because I feel like it's a question that should have an answer. It it, it should be a question that I can wrap my mind around and fully understand and and have somewhat of a conclusion about. But, But what is the point of church? Why do we gather Sunday after Sunday? Not just here at Hilltop, but in various locations all throughout our city, all throughout this world, people like you and me do this strange thing called church. Now, there's some obvious reasons to this, isn't there? There's some obvious kind of logical, visible reasons on why we do church, right? I mean, take, uh, for example, the preaching of the gospel. Like, the gospel needs to be preached. It needs to be heard. Uh, It needs to be taught in a way that equips and trains the body. Another obvious reason would be the worship of God. I mean, what we just did this morning, coming together and adoring Jesus, right? Those are some obvious reasons on why we do church, right? And in some way, they should be somewhat 
conclusive in and of themselves, meaning they should satisfy completely why we do what we do called church on Sunday morning. But they don't. Have you, am I alone? I mean, it's not enough even as a pastor to come to church Sunday after Sunday just for the sole purpose of worship and hearing the gospel. I could, I could hear the gospel anywhere. I could dial up the latest and greatest uh, teacher online and that could be my Sunday morning feast. I could even give to that church. I, I could do worship, just pull my family together. Uh, you know, and I, I can sing and play a couple notes so we could do worship, right? I could even invite some of my friends, maybe some like-minded, right? Uh, maybe people who dress like me, talk like me, act like me, think like me, right? That would be church, wouldn't it? I mean, the message we heard last Sunday about diversity. How about putting that on the why we do church? Why we don't just hide away in our closets or just hide away in our neighborhoods, but we actually Sunday after Sunday come together, hear the gospel, and adore Jesus. It's important to ask ourselves this question, why we do church, especially something like church, I believe, right? A place in which we do community, right? A place in which we're hopefully serving, hopefully giving, hopefully attending, hopefully growing in doing life together Sunday after Sunday. This is a question that should be asked and should be answered. Why do I do church? Why do I choose community? You know, that's what church is about, to me anyways. It's about choosing community. It really is. It's about letting other people into my life and doing life with them. Understanding, guys, the value of anything, right? Understanding the value of anything. And let's just say for this morning, understanding the value of community helps us stay committed and connected to community. Let me say that again. Understanding the value of anything, and, and, and more so because we're on the subject, understanding the value of church, understanding the value that there's real value in community, helps us stay committed and stay connected. If we don't understand the value, we probably don't understand why it's necessary. Example, you may notice that I don't have a strong conviction uh, towards eating healthy <laughs> and exercise. All for the sake of a joke, friends. <laughs> I don't have a strong conviction with these things, right? But I have a friend who has diabetes. His name is Adam, and he does. But I grew up with this cat, and in our teenage years, in our early 20s, he did not have a value for these things at all until he was diagnosed with diabetes. And now Adam has a strong conviction about what he puts in his mouth, uh, about uh, the, the need for exercise, the commitment to getting out there to the gym. So he sees, he understands that eating right or healthy and getting the right exercise, it's crucial to his health and possibly his survival if he doesn't heed the warnings of his doctors and stay committed. Listen to Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Let's bring the Bible into focus here. 
about wisdom and understanding. This is what a proverb says in, in chapter 3, 13 through 18. It says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who what? Gets understanding. For the gain from her wisdom and understanding is better than the gain from silver and her profit than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Listen to the language here. Listen to the value that this proverb puts on wisdom and understanding. She's more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. I can think of a couple things that I desire a little bit more than understanding and wisdom or that I place above wisdom and understanding. But here we hear the Bible placing such value on these things. That it's, that it's blessed, you're considered blessed to have wisdom and understanding. And they're, they're more precious than any wealth. It goes on to say, long life is in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. You see, my friend Adam, he understands the important of ma- importance, excuse me, of making healthy choices. It, it, he encourages others to do so. You see, Adam stays committed to these things because he understands the value of these things. They rule his conviction when he gets up in the morning. It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fast little shake and off to plan, uh, Planet Fitness. I almost forgot the name because I've never entered the door of one. <laughs> You get what I'm saying, though, just to throw it back, understanding the value of anything, of anything. And in this case, understanding the value of community and church helps us stay committed and connected. Do you know that the Bible teaches us not to neglect one another? That's not necessarily something you hear on Sunday morning, right? Necessarily something popular to say, but it actually does. It, it encourages us not Uh, to not neglect the coming together in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. This is what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Right, right. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Oh no, he's, he's calling out some people there. He's about ready to put on on notice. There are some among you that are neglecting the coming together. Why? Why do we do this? Why do we come? Well, he started off with giving us somewhat of the purpose of why it is we come together, right? We stir up one another unto love and good works. I mean, there are so many relationships that I have in this very room where either... uh, unknowingly or you do know because I've talked to you at one point you stir me to good works and to love and apart from my relationship with you I most likely wouldn't be stirred to those things if you met my wife I probably would be just because she's you know if you've met her you understand totally what I'm saying but but there are some here that actually provoke me in that way and I'm sure you could say the same thing about some of your friends here That actually you being in relationship with them is a necessity in that it stirs your heart to see their faith. It stirs your heart to see their love. 
Community is important for these things. So we stir one another up for love and to good works, not neglecting one another, not neglecting coming together. The writer here encourages us to come together. He does not endorse separation and isolation and doing church at your home. He says, come together. And there's for a reason. There's, this is for a reason. And we're going to get into that. So a quick recap, right? It will be hard, somewhat impossible for you and I to commit or connect to the church if we don't first understand the value of church and the role it plays in our lives. Secondly, it will be hard to give an honest uh, answer to that question, why church, if in our hearts we believe there's a substitute for it. If in our hearts we believe there's There's got to be something that can replace this thing called the church. Let me just say to you guys, nothing can replace the church. And and mainly nothing can replace the church because of its architect. The one who is building it, nothing can replace his kingdom. His name is Jesus. He is the builder. Actually, Paul says he is the head of the church. Yes, churches can come and go, but the church will remain. And hear me, I am not in any way saying that the church is a physical meeting space. Although this helps us do church. This helps us be together. But we are the church, the people of God. Nothing can replace the church. Now I understand that might come across empty and somewhat meaningless to most of us today. Um, uh, don't and hear me. I want to be in the middle here. I've, I, listen, if, if you actually heard my personal story and my personal experience with the church, uh, you know, there is a time when I, I turned my back. I, 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 I didn't understand the value. Why? Because I was hurt by the church. And, and, and I want to neglect anyone here who has ever been mistreated. I understand there are, there are stories and cases in this room where you have not been handled with care. But guys, hear me. Not every pastor is the same. Not every church is the same. Yes, there is plenty of room for improvement within the church. Don't, I will be the first to admit it. But just because there is room for improvement does not mean there's a substitute for the church. Hear my heart. I sympathize with those who have been pained by the church because I also have been in many ways pained and hurt and misunderstood. I am not trying to come across as a pastor who just wants to beat people into um, seeing the value of church and community. I, I, I just happen to see some things in the scripture. See, my lens in which I'm seeing this through is the Bible. I, I, I like to believe that I, I, I'm a God-exalting Bible man. I, I don't want to just come up with things that really uh, are, uh, come about because of my pain. See, it would be very easy for me 
to be jaded and withdrawn had I viewed the church through the lens of my pain in my past. But see, I, I can't do that because I see things in this word. You understand, God is pro-church. God is for the church. He really is. Therefore, I want to be for what God is for. Ephesians 1, through 23, it says this, And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, which, I'm sorry, let me not butcher that, which is his body. The church is his body, the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ who fills in all things. Paul couldn't have given, in my opinion, a more appropriate and may I say a dramatic view of the power of God at work in the church. Let me say that again. In my opinion, Paul gives a beautiful, dramatic view of the power of God at work in the church to describe the church as the body of Christ soon after describing him as the head of the church. Are you kidding me? Are, are you following me? I should say, are you following to, 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 to so closely put those two things together? In my mind, Paul essentially highlights the union between the church and Christ. And we need to pay attention to this fact the next time we want to point fingers at the church. We need, to, we need to use our words carefully next time we want to speak ill about the church. Why? Because the church has a builder. You see, I hope that none of us are confused. I'm not building this thing. Daryl Temple, your pastor, Bethany Temple, we are not building. I'm not mad, by the way. This is how I grew up uh, being preached to, so I, it's the only thing I know. Forgive me. <laughs> Please, I, I'm, I have a son. He's eight years old. I love him to death. Nine years old. <laughs> Crazy. That's my wife. I, 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 I'm a happy guy. I really am. But Paul highlights the union between the church and Christ. Even more striking, I believe, is Colossians 1.18. It says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Paul stresses the centrality of Jesus in relations to his people. I mean, right? That's what... Jesus is the head of the body of the church? I mean, that's pretty clear to me. Jesus is the head of the church. Paul points this out. And by doing so, he also points to the close and very personal relationship that Jesus has with his church. In that, Jesus rules over all people. Much like a head influences the various parts of the body. Jesus influences and has pull and sway with the different moves of the church. You see, I am not building this thing today. 
I know better than that. See, yes, you can call me pastor, but you know what? We're yielded to one great shepherd, one great pastor. He is the head of this thing, and we're following him. Uh, at least I like to think that I am. There are some visible signs in scriptures that lead me to this conclusion that this thing called church was in the mind of God long before it ever came into being in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, trying to move somewhat quickly so we can enjoy some food together. I am a food man. Makes me happy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. Could you put it up right here? And he is the head of the body. Nope, sorry. Oh, how on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather, gather the people to me. Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days of my life. Gather. This word gather is an interesting word, isn't it? In Deuteronomy chapter 4. The word gather in the Septuagint means, or it's translated gahal, uh, with the Greek term ekklesizo, or ekklesizo. Sorry, I'm, I'm butchering it, but I'm, I'm somewhat within proximity, which means to summon an assembly. The, the word, uh, I'm sorry, the verb of the word ekklesizo is uh, associated with a New Testament noun, which is ecclesia, which is the word we get church from. Gather to me. Gather to me. The New Testament authors often uh, referred to the Old Testament people as the ecclesia or church. In much of their writings, take um, Acts chapter 7, 38, where Stephen uh, speaks of Israel in their time in the wilderness as a church or as the ecclesia. Or Hebrews chapter 12, where the author reaches as far back uh, and names people like Abel, uh, Enoch, uh, Noah, um, Gideon, David. I mean, the list goes on, right? The Hebrew writers explains how these heavenly witnesses around Surround, excuse me, the present day people of God. And it seems appropriate that the author defines these people as a great spiritual assembly or the church, both the heavenly host and the earthly host. This is just a fraction of some of the scriptures that exist. You take Psalms 22 or Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 11, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 5, Matthew 16, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, and so many more lead us to believe that church is not man-made. This thing we do, this awkward, strange event we do, Routinely, every Sunday after Sunday, some of us pour our sweat out for. Lots of sweat. <laughs> Me too. Was in the mind of God long before it ever came into being. It existed there. God is very much for the church. Why? Because he dreamed of a people. And in Deuteronomy, we see him say, 
gather unto me, my people. God wants a family, friends. It's funny that God urged the first people, right, in the garden to what? Be fruitful and multiply. God himself was the first kind of, it came as in a way to introducing like the first community ever in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that creative work in Genesis. He didn't go stag, he didn't go in alone. He had with him a community. And he didn't just stop to enjoy all that that community created. He added to his community and the people that he made in his own image. And you know what? He just didn't stop there. He told those people, Adam and Eve, the ones in which he made in his own image to go out and be fruitful and make for him a family. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, thank you. That's, I, I kind of ignore these things when they come up. I, my wife just brought a bunch of towels, but thank you. It just makes me, it makes me feel even more awkward. Uh, <laughs> I thought about maybe getting a towel at one point. Uh, yes, okay. <laughs> Recap, and then we're done. Ruthie. Sorry, Ruthie. It's not even told me to do it. So what do I want us to take away this morning? You, you can't commit to something you don't value. Yeah. And you can't value something you don't understand. And that's why understanding is so precious. Two, church is not man-made. It's God-ordained. It was in his mind long before it ever came into being. That makes it significant. That makes it important. That makes or bring some kind of meaning and purpose to why you join with us and we do together. We gather together. We assemble together to do church. If you came in this morning, you probably got a little communion uh, cup here. Thanks, babe. And I was thinking about this right here, the body and the blood of Christ. And, and I was trying to think about how it kind of is significant to the message today. And I think it's very significant to the message today. Because you know, it's going to be hard to do community if we have ill will or awe towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it, right? And right here, we're encouraged that before we partake of this body and drink of this blood. We're, we're, we're encouraged in scriptures, what? To get things right, right? With our, with, our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in that way, I feel like taking communion today is appropriate because it's not easy doing community. It really isn't. Some of, you know, when the Bible talks about ironing, iron sharpening iron, that's not necessarily the best of experiences if you've ever had the joys and the privilege of walking through it. It, it really does hurt. And, 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 and there has to be 
somehow in some way when your brothers and sisters in Christ are railing against you and there's pain involved, man, great grace has to be extended and great forgiveness has to be extended because this family that God has made in his image is not perfect. <laughs> I, 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 listen, I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I will let you down. I will fail you. I will come across like an angry fat man on Sundays. <laughs> I'm not fat. I'm just big boned. <laughs> but this is what it's all about. Why? Because it reminds us the preciousness of forgiveness. And there is nothing, that there's no way we can build church without this, without knowing the power of what this represents. Will, could you come to the keyboard? I'd like to do all the blood of Jesus, if we could. Allegra, maybe you could help him assist. And I want to just take time and I don't want, unless you feel led by the Spirit, maybe some, why we're, some time when we're out there partying together, if you do have something in your heart to your brother or sister, maybe you would go to them. Maybe you would ask for their forgiveness. But irregardless if that happens or not, why don't we take in the moments of this song and just ask God to search our hearts? To search our hearts. Where are we? Community is not easy. The devil doesn't like community. It does not like church. It does not like covenant people who are doing uh, life together. It, he does not like it. Therefore, he takes any opportunity he can to rail against it. But maybe when we take communion today, we can believe God for something greater, something bigger like forgiveness, being gracious towards one another, loving one another, and, and letting Letting that iron of our brother's life sharpen the iron in our lives, even if it hurts, even if it causes pain. Can we take a couple minutes and sing this song together and look to Jesus, and then I'll lead us in communion.
Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's eat the body of Christ. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Let's drink the elements. Yeah, let's stand up all over this room and just sing this together. What can be whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the But the blood of Jesus, oh precious, oh precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, we give thanks this morning. We give thanks for the blood and the body of Christ, which is significant and powerful, God, and serves as a reminder to us that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. God, I pray that in these weeks to come and in these months to come, oh, that we would learn the power of forgiveness. And in learning the power, God, you would put together an awesome, beautiful community, a reflection of Jesus himself. Father, we thank you for the name and the power that is in the Son of Christ. We adore you. And we thank you for an opportunity to come together, be together, enjoying you and enjoying one another. Amen. Amen. All right.